We are the Covenanters, and this group that comes to us from Geneva College are also the Covenanters. Now, who are the Covenanters? Well, those are the ones that came out of the hills and vales of Scotland many years ago who paid with their lifeblood, some of them, in order to maintain a faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Wallace Presbyterian Church is a Covenanter church. It was established in Washington, D.C. as the first of the Covenanter churches in our nation's capital. And as I understand, the original charter of this church reads that we wished to establish a psalm-singing testimony in our nation's capital. That's one of the distinctives of the Covenanters, and we especially appreciate the ministry that has come to us this evening. And, of course, we have shown a little bit of interest in the covenants over these last few weeks at Wallace. That is, since the fall of last year, as you know, we began this trek through the Old Testament to see God's covenants and how faithfully he has maintained his truth by the way of the covenants. Now, this evening, we're going to look at Christ, the covenant of consummation the end of the history of the covenants. And the scripture reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We read last week from Jeremiah chapter 31 as it prophesied about the new covenant. Now Paul the apostle explains the new covenant and its significance for you and me who live in this new era. The word of God reads, Now if the ministry that brought death, that is the ministry of the old covenant, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil on his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Christ, the covenant of consummation. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come and bow our knees before you as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who from eternity past planned a perfect way of salvation for your people that stretches into eternity future. We thank you that we live in time and history and in a critical time, the time of the fulfillment of the promises of your grace. We come tonight and ask that your Holy Spirit may do a special work in our hearts, may give to us a joy in understanding the great privilege that is ours to know Christ, the center of your covenants, and give to us an encouragement, Heavenly Father, that we can know him even unto eternity. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, we began some time ago as we started to look at the covenantal structure of Scripture, and we began with the covenant of creation. You remember something of the lazy V diagram. The idea is that as history unfolds, the implications and extensions of the significance of God's covenants increase. God bound himself with man in the original covenantal relationship. Man broke that covenant, that covenant of works, And so God established a covenant of redemption. And we have looked at the history of the unfolding of those covenants. Not as though one covenant replaces the other, but one covenant builds upon another. It's as though a pearl were gathering ever new beauty and ever larger significance. God began with Adam and made promises concerning the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. God said to Noah that he would preserve the earth until the end of time. God promised to Abraham that he would have a seed as numerous as the stars of the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. God gave to Moses a law and also promised a spirit that would write that law in the hearts. God said to David that he would establish his kingdom on the basis of that covenant that would endure forever. Now those are the old covenants that we find in Scripture But the end and the consummation is seen in the new covenant realities. And that's what we want to look at tonight, the new covenant realities. For here we see that all that God had intended in history from time past is now being fulfilled as the new covenant realities come into existence. Now looking at this new covenant we want to look at three areas in particular. And in each one of these areas, in considering the new covenant, we want to consider and be aware of the necessity of seeing the balance in the new covenant. Balance suggests wholeness or completeness. And that is what is happening when God finally comes to that point in history in which he establishes the new covenant. There are a balance of all factors You know, if you're about to go on your vacation trip and you go get your tires all balanced and someone doesn't know what they're doing and puts all the extra weights on one side of the tire, what's going to happen? You're going to feel a very strange kind of bumping going along in the road because everything is not in balance. Now, so it is with the covenants and particularly the new covenant. Now, finally, everything is brought into perfection of balance. Now, there are three areas that need to be noted as you consider the balance that is found in the New Covenant. 
And first of all, there is this balance between continuity and newness. The balance between a continuation of what has preceded and the balance of the introduction of something that is new and fresh. You need the sense of continuance with the past. You're not just a spot in time and history that has no significance with the past. No, your whole life is built on that firm foundation of history that was established long, long ago. Down in Latin America, you find young people who are willing to throw their lives into the worldwide Marxist movement because it gives to them a sense of history and of destiny. They are willing to sacrifice everything for that cause because it gives to them a sense of purpose and movement in history. Now you, as a part of the covenant community of God, should understand the continuance that you have in relation to the past. But you also need to understand something of the newness, something of the distinctiveness that you experience with reference to the past. Now if you'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, you can see where the Word of God emphasizes this balance of two elements of continuance or continuity and newness in this covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Notice the scripture's emphasis. It is indeed a new covenant. It's not going to be like the circumstances of the old covenant. So it stands in contrast with the past. But with what is it contrasting? We know certainly that it's contrasting with the Mosaic covenant of old, with that externalized stone engraven form of the old covenant law. But you have to see also that it is in contrast with the temporal and temporary character of the Abrahamic covenant as well. You notice that Jeremiah says, It's not going to be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Now when God led Israel out of Egypt, the Mosaic covenant hadn't been established. The Mosaic covenant didn't come until Sinai. It was under the auspices of the Abrahamic covenant that God brought them out of Egypt. So here's a contrast, not only with the Mosaic, but also with the Abrahamic. And when Jeremiah wrote these words, he was living in the days of the Davidic covenant. He was living in the days of the covenant that God had established with David. So the contrast is with all that is there in the old covenant scriptures. Now, as you think about the new covenant, don't think in terms of simply a renewal of the old covenant. We had some people in New Testament times that thought just in those terms. Do you know who they were? They were the Qumran people. The Qumran people went out into the wilderness because they expected a new Moses to rise up out of his grave in the desert and to lead them again into the land of promise as Joshua had done. 
They expected to reestablish the Levitical system of sacrifices. And they expected to have a descendant of David that would be established on that throne in Jerusalem. They were looking not for a new covenant, but for a renewal of the old covenant. But we're not looking just for a renewal of the old. We're looking for something that is new, drastically new. And yet also, notice that there is the balance of continuity with the old. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my Torah, my law, in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Notice that it's the same law. The law of God that was given in the old covenant is that which is now going to be written in the hearts of God's people. Not all the details of the Mosaic covenant indeed, but that essence of the Mosaic covenant as it is found in the ten words that is to be engraven in the hearts of God's people. Oh, how love I thy law. That is a wonderful song for new covenant people. Furthermore, in the new covenant, there is to see, you are to see a continuity in that God is going to complete the process of redemption that he had begun long ago. He says in verse 32 of Jeremiah, I was a husband to them. I loved them. And that's the same way I love the people in the new covenant. I am a husband to you. And I'm going to complete that loving work of delivering you from the domination of sin in your life. And a major element of this new covenant is the finalizing forgiveness of sins in the new covenant. Verse 34 of Jeremiah, he says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now you can see the continuity because in the old covenant also there was the forgiveness of sins. Whenever an Israelite sinned, he would bring a lamb to the temple and there he would offer a sacrifice and God would forgive him of his sins. But what's new in the new covenant? Well, it is that finality of forgiveness that you and I experience in our relationship to Jesus Christ. You do not have in the celebrations that we have as Christians a constant remembrance of the sacrifice of animals. You do not have to bring animals actually to put them to death. And so constantly as the, in the old covenant people, as they lived, they were constantly being reminded of their sins, even as they were being forgiven of their sins. For the sacrifice had to be offered over and over and over again. But under the new covenant, there was one sacrifice, and it's all over. You should not ever live as though you had some debt to pay to God. But you can come and confess your sins and immediately receive the washing of that once-for-all sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many times, Christians make the mistake that somehow they've got to do some good deed or pay some great amount of money or sacrifice some way or another in order to get rid of their sins. No, not according to the new covenant. It's all been done 
once and for all. And remember, no gunny sacking either. No carrying around over your back your favorite guilt trips. Sometimes Christians even seem to relish in their sense of guilt. No, forget it. The Lord says, I will not remember your sins anymore. Have you experienced the wondrous blessing of the once-for-all forgiveness of all your sins? To know that God will never again remember your transgressions? What a wonderful, gracious experience that we have in the New Covenant. Now, a second balance, an important balance in the New Covenant, is the balance between corporateness and individuality. The balance between corporateness and individuality. Now, some, as they read the New Covenant and try to contrast it with the Old, set some absolute polar opposites between God's dealing with a body of people and God's dealing with people as individuals. This is what one noteworthy commentator says with respect to Jeremiah's prophecy of the New Covenant. He says, Probably the most significant contribution which Jeremiah made to religious thought was inherent in his insistence that the New Covenant involved a one-to-one relationship of the Spirit. When the New Covenant was inaugurated by the atoning work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, this important development of personal as opposed to corporate faith and spirituality was made real for the whole of mankind. Is that true of the new covenant? That the old was a way in which God dealt with a body of people and the new is one in which every person is dealt with on a completely and totally individual basis? Well, look at what Jeremiah says. He says, the new covenant is one that I will make with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel. In the very description of the covenant itself is an underscoring of the fact that God does not only deal with individuals, but he also deals with a body of people. He makes his covenant not just with individual people, but he makes his covenant and he deals in history with bodies of people as well as with individual persons. So what you have to get here is a wholeness, a balance. Don't put all your weights on one side of the tire or you're going to get a lopsided kind of bump. Individuality as over against corporateness may be very characteristic of American history and the strength of the pioneers and the frontiersmen that went all alone by themselves out toward the West. But it is not an exclusive aspect of the covenants that God has established with people in history. So you get a balance. And what do you see? Well, you see that very clearly in the Old Covenant, God dealt with individuals. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Twin brothers, born of the same father and mother at the same time. And yet God brings one into loving covenant relationship with himself and God excludes the other. So individuality was there in the old covenant. And corporateness is present in the new covenant. Today, God deals with the house of Judah. 
and with the house of Israel. And who are those houses? Well, it can be you and your house. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your house. What a wonderful thing it is to understand that God's covenants are not just with individual people, but it is with families. God wants to see families born again into his kingdom. God wants to see you blessed in this new covenant experience with the prosperity of your whole family being saved. The church also is a body, a corporate body with which God deals. God brings blessing on the church that is faithful and continues in faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. God brings judgment and hardship upon those churches that depart from his ways. And here we're not talking about big bucks and big dollars as a way of Christianity, but that blessing of the whole man, that whether in prosperity or whether in dire need, God is present with his people to bless them as they are faithful to him. Ultimately, when the new covenant says that God will make a covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, he is talking about the elect people of God. From every kindred and tribe and nation and people, including Jews, including Gentiles, brought together as one body. The stock indeed comes from the Israel of the old covenant. But you and I as Gentile believers are grafted in. Just as Abraham the Gentile was brought in to become the root foundation of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What a wonderful thing it is to find that balance. To understand that you indeed as an individual have a responsibility before God. You have a responsibility yourself to believe and you cannot let the faith of your parents or the faith of your church substitute for your own faith. And yet it's also wonderful to be able to claim the promises of God for you and your house, for you and this church. So let's get the balance, corporateness as well as individuality. And finally, a balance between internal reality versus external substance. Now, you would think that there would be an easier way to say this than all these complicated words, internal reality and external substance. But let's just take it for what it is here. What are we talking about? Internal reality versus external substance in the covenant. Well, on the one hand, we're talking about the fact that God is interested in the Spirit. God in the New Covenant is especially concerned with ministering in your inner soul, in the inner man. But at the same time, God is also concerned about your body. He's concerned about your external life. Very often, people are tempted to minimize the external and concentrate only on the internal. Or, contrarywise, Many people in many religions say if you just get out here and do it externally, you don't have to worry about the heart. Just don't resist. Just follow the external order of things and everything will be fine. Now let's look at the new covenant and notice, first of all, the stress on the internal reality, on the importance of what's happening in the heart. For it is out of the heart that proceed the issues of life. Jeremiah says that the new covenant is going to be characterized by the fact that God is going to write his law 
on your heart. He's going to write his law on your heart. One of the great privileges that the Christian can have is to express to God the desires of his heart and know that even though they may not be perfect, God is going to perfect them and God is going to give him the desires of his heart. The old covenant law was written on tablets external to man. The new covenant law was written immediately in the heart of man. Now what does this contrast mean with respect to our old covenant brothers? Can we really learn anything about the new covenant and its benefit for us if all that the old covenant deals with is the external form of things? Was the Holy Spirit working in the old covenant? Why, of course. The, old, the Holy Spirit was working in the Old Covenant. There would be no regeneration, no new birth apart from the Holy Spirit. People under the Old Covenant were just as dead in trespasses and in sins as are the people under the New Covenant. And they too had to have the Holy Spirit come and regenerate them. But what about the indwelling Holy Spirit? Did the Holy Spirit abide within the heart of the old covenant believer? Why, of course he did. How could there be continuation of spiritual life if the Holy Spirit were not living in that old covenant believer? The only way that spiritual life can be maintained is by the constantly abiding Holy Spirit within them. And the scriptures of the Old Testament constantly emphasize that fact that there was a spiritual dimension indeed in the Old Covenant people. If you look at your bulletin tonight and notice that Psalm, Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me your presence and do not take your spirit from me. Well, that obviously implies that his spirit was there. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant to me a willing spirit. See, God's Spirit was at work in the hearts of the New Covenant believer. But what's the difference? Well, the difference is that now we have the experience of the Spirit in an even fuller measure than the Old Covenant people. The prophecy of Jeremiah says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, upon all mankind, not just one nation in one locality, but among all the nations of the world. And I will pour it out, particularly with respect to the gifts of the Spirit. You know, Billy Graham preached to far more people than even our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus himself said, you will do greater things than I have done. How could that be? Because the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all believers scattered over all the globe. What a tremendous, exciting day to live in. A day in which there has been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, scattered over all the face of the earth. That is your experience in the new covenant. Now, so there is an emphasis. There is an emphasis here in the new covenant on the internal working of the Spirit. But at the same time, there is also the place of the external. There is the place of the external. Where is the external? Well, it was very obvious in the Old Covenant. They had all sorts of temples that were built there. And 
Well, one temple, I'm getting a little carried away here. They had one magnificent temple built there in the Old Covenant Scriptures. Now, where is the temple of God today? The Scriptures say, you, in your body, contain the Holy Spirit. That physical body of yours is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. And furthermore, the scriptures tell you that you've got something greater coming. That day in which you will be saved, not just by your spirit floating in some never-never land, but by the trumpet of the Lord calling your body from its grave, in which you will be renewed in the total man, both in body and in spirit, and you will dwell forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Now the implications of that balance are so extensive. It means that for eternity, we will enjoy one another. There'll be a few warts removed here and there. There'll be a little perfection in our body as well as our spirit when we arrive there. But what a glorious thing it will be when God completes the work of redemption, not just in our inner spiritual man, but when our total man is born again by the recreation of God's Holy Spirit. The new covenant, it is a great day. And you can see how the new covenant actually brings to fulfillment and consummation every one of the old covenants that God has established. From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses and to David. You can find new covenant references that are found here to the way in which all of the covenants found their consummation in the new covenant. And ultimately, that consummation is to be seen not in an abstract idea. It's to be seen in a person. I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. That's speaking of Emmanuel. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. That person, so that you're bound not just to the abstract idea of a covenant, but you're bound to the personal reality of the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, who is closer to you than a brother himself, and who is yours, and you are his, by faith in his covenant. Let us close in prayer. We come, O oh gracious God, to give thanks for the day in which we live, and we confess that many times we lag in faith and forget the great consummation of ages that is ours presently. But we praise your name for your word, for its reminder of the great and glorious consummation of all things in your Son. Help each one of us to find that perfect balance of understanding whose we are and who we are, and finding our great joy in living in constant communion and fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask in his name, amen. We shall sing as a closing hymn.